Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Endurance driver Alan Simonson lost his life at Le Mans. I, I saw the accident and, and uh, knew that it was quite a big one. I, I was concerned for him, but someone, someone said that he got out of the car. You know, I, I, I thought he was okay and... That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Alan Simonson, the Danish driver who spent a lot of time in Australia, has lost his life in the opening laps of last weekend's Le Mans 24-hour race. Simonson, who was to partner David Wall in this year's V8 Enduros, was well respected and liked by the Aussie racing community. He sat on the podium with Greg Murphy only a couple of years ago. Here's Alan's thoughts of that podium finish in 2011. It, it compares um, as big as, as, as any of the others. I mean, I said to Murph when we got up um, up on that podium, this is, this is very special. I didn't think it was going to be that special, but it was very, very special. Um, you know, it's almost like standing at the podium at Le Mans. Um, just an amazing uh, experience. I'm privileged to come here to Australia to race. Um, I think the championship is one of the best in the world, and, and to be partnering uh, Greg is, is um, just fantastic. He does such a good job around here, and um, I just try and support him as much as I can. Today it, uh, it worked for us. Jason Bright, who was racing at Le Mans last weekend, spoke about his feelings straight after the 24-hour classic. Yeah, it, uh, it made a pretty difficult race from that point. No, I sort of hard getting back in the car each time and uh and you know sort of when you when you got that on your mind let, let alone trying to sleep during the 24-hour race so yeah it was uh it was a hell of a shock the vat insiders send their condolences to his partner and daughter and also to all of his friends in the australian and worldwide motorsport community the Darwin Damage Bill is mounting with Lucas Dumbrell expecting his repairs on the two cars to be over $60,000. The team has taken their cars to Queensland to have them repaired on the 888 jig as the Nissan jig, which was used to repair Scott Pye's 888 Holden earlier in the season, has had the Ultima of James Moffat on it. 
The Norton car has had an estimated $25,000 worth of repairs being done to it, whilst Brad Jones Racing's David Wall Wilson Security car has had over 54 hours of work already spent on the car, just getting it back to the shell. Nissan told me that they expected to be around 50 to 60 hours also to get their car to that same position. The Webb has said that they're not actively looking for a manufacturer, but would be happy to talk to anyone that want to join the V8 Supercar Series. Oh, look, we're not chasing anything in particular at the moment. Really enjoying working with Holden, but obviously their budget's spread across a lot more cars than the other guys. So, yeah, we're always open the doors there, and if someone wants to come and have a chat, we certainly won't say no, but they said uh, enjoying working with Holden at the moment. It's a, it's a big cash injection, obviously, manufacturer, the only ones that can drop those 5 and $10 million to build up you know, those factory teams and... Yeah, we'll, at the moment, with the economy and the way V8 supercars are, we'll take all the help we can get. David Reynolds told us last year in a revealing interview that he had a falling out with his engineer, James Small, after their fantastic Bathurst result. This year, FPR told him that Small would be moving to another car and Reynolds would be with a new engineer. We asked him what he thought of that change. In my mind, I was working strongly with him till until January this year and then um, I got the call up saying not going to happen so I was a bit disappointed but you know Aussie we call him he's he's a young kid but he's very smart and uh, very switched on and you know I'm great I'm very happy to have him he's unreal when the switch was made did you get a call on who you were going to have or they just said this is your new guy um oh they just made a decision for me and told me who I was going to have would you like to have cherry picked out of the bunch um of, of, of course you'd like who you'd think you'd love it you know it doesn't work out how you always plan it doesn't matter you know we're, we're, we're working good now and he's he's built the car to suit me and he's very 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 smart he's never done this role before so that's he's, he's coming up with new challenges and but it's interesting to see how he grows and he's been fantastic so far Dick Johnson told the V8 Insiders that he'll have mixed emotions about his son Stephen driving for Erebus in the Enduros. Well, I wouldn't like to say what my feelings are in that, in that respect, but they're not bad, I can assure you. It's just um, it's just one of those situations that had to be for, for a lot of different reasons, and, and I think it's good for him. It's going to be different for you, though? Well, it's different for me. Being a father is one thing, but um, being a business owner is another. On this week's White Flag Lap, we talk tyres and why drivers are going out onto the track with wets instead of taking out dries. I think um, the way the situation is, they need, if they want this to be a parity formula, they need to regulate certain things, uh, especially in the tyre department. And quite frankly, I think um, they should allow the teams to have two sets of new tyres for for the practice and uh, the use of wet tyres only to be when it's wet. On this week's roundtable, Samantha Reid and Tony Shebecki will look at wet tyres in practice and a whole lot more. That's the news on the V8 Insiders brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. 
Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from On The Grid on SEN and SEN.com.au around the country, it's Tony Shebecki. Good evening, Tony. Hello, Craig. Hope you're well, mate. I am indeed, as is, I'm sure, Samantha Reed. Good evening, Sam. Yeah, good evening. Good to be back. It is. It's, a, uh, it's good to have you both on the show, but it is a sad day for the show because uh, of the passing of Alan Simonson at Le Mans and uh, one thing about Alan, he was one of those guys, Sam, that you could always go up to always had a smile on his face and had plenty of time for not just the media but all the fans and he, he built up so many relationships in Australia Yeah, Alan, you know, the short time that he was involved in Australian motorsport did make a big impression on, on the fans and also, you know, the teams, all the teams he was involved in, certainly a popular driver and it's one of those things, you know, the theory is that we know what we're in for as a driver out there on the circuit. Obviously, motorsport is dangerous, but I think each and every time we have something like this, it is a shock to the system, and it's certainly something that no one expected to see. You know, a driver of his calibre, he's, he's proven over and over again that he's got enormous talent, and as you say, he brought a smile to many people's faces, so it's such disappointing news to hear uh, of the, the incident at Le Mans early on in the race. Yeah, and of course, uh, his driving talents was of the calibre that he had up until Formula 3 went to the Mount Panorama Bathurst. He had the fastest lap of all time at Bathurst until the open wheelers took it away. Tony? Exactly, exactly right, Craig. And that was an amazing, uh, that's an amazing record to have when he went up there a couple of years ago in that Ferrari. And of course, we remember him standing on the podium with Greg Murphy as well. Yeah, an absolute shock. I was in uh, Tassie on the weekend just having a weekend away with the wife and woke up Sunday morning, just switched on the phone, thought I'd go through Twitter and catch up with what had been happening in Le Mans, and then to see uh, the posts that were there, I was just shocked. I hadn't had the chance to spend much time with Alan, was uh, fortunate enough to interview him a couple of times, especially after that run in the Ferrari up at Bathurst, and met him a couple of times at Bathurst and also at the Gold Coast, and yeah, you're right, a lovely bloke, and Yep, uh, it just reminds everybody who gets behind the wheel just how fragile we, uh, how fragile this sport can be. Yeah, of course, and uh, of course the investigations going on. The the news that I've heard uh, is that it was actually uh, something to do with the traction control. So uh, one of those one of those terrible things where mechanically you are in the lap of the gods when it fails. And on this occasion, we've lost a a, a great great person and uh, a very good friend of motorsport all around the world. Changing topic slightly, it's interesting, Samantha, you've got involvements into Nissan. We now hear another manufacturer's involved Volvo. Is Renault or is Chevrolet or is Chrysler going to be next? Do you have any inkling on where this could be going? Look, I wish I could tell you I did, but to be honest, I... I'm not so sure. I, um, we've had so many rumours that it's hard to know what's what's true and what's not. To be honest, I'm, I can't imagine. I mean, I think 
not long ago you asked me this question. I said I didn't think we'd see anyone for the, for the next season. They've already been proved wrong, so who knows? But, uh, look, I would be surprised if we saw Renault or, or Chrysler uh, join at this point. But, you know, I think it'd actually be really good for both of those brands to be involved. I think both of those brands could really benefit from being involved in, in the racing side of Australian uh, automotive and certainly perceived to be a, a sporty brand. Uh, so, look, I hope so. I personally am, uh, think it's fantastic that we're seeing some new manufacturers. I think uh, it's no no secret that a lot of people out there were sort of starting to get a bit, bit bored of watching the same old, same old on television. But seeing these new manufacturers come out and seeing the progression that the, both the Arebus uh, race team and, and also obviously the Nissans uh, are making throughout the season is pretty exciting. So to see... You know, another new uh, shape on the grid and another new powerhouse is going to be pretty exciting. Mm. Tony, have you got uh, any inkling? I think uh, V8 supercars need to be applauded to an extent for having the foresight to uh, to bring in new manufacturers when they did and obviously had uh, feelings and, and thoughts about what may happen to Ford in the long term. I don't know whether they had those or whether it was just uh, great timing, but obviously it looks like Ford won't be around for too much longer. They, they may stay involved in some way. They may bring in the Mondeo instead of the Falcon. But uh, if Ford were to go by the wayside, we'd be running the Commodore Cup, wouldn't we, in V8 supercars if the new manufacturers hadn't come in. So I think it's a great foresight there to, uh, to, to get into bed with the other manufacturers. We've seen Volvo uh, in the last two weeks now. Chrysler's an interesting one, isn't it, guys? I, I think Chrysler and Gary Rogers Motorsport were so far down in talks that uh, for Gary to gazump that with a Volvo, to me, seems that probably Chrysler may not get involved. And uh, yeah, where that next manufacturer comes, I'm sure we'll probably get another one or two. Just not sure who they're going to be. I had an interesting uh, discussion with Alan Moffat a, a couple of weeks ago for an upcoming interview in VRX magazine. And one of the things that he was uh, quite uh, adamant about was how much, although it's not win on Monday, sell Oh, sorry, went on Sunday, sell on Monday. He was very adamant that the dealers of Mazda, when he got involved with the RX-7, were adamant that it saved them so much money in advertising and promotion of the car as a sporting and a sporty car because there it was out on the track. And I guess that's the important thing, Samantha. Whilst you're putting a lot of money into the racing team and getting that up and running it means you can focus on other areas of your brand because you have got that sports and performance end covered. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, interesting that you do mention Mazda. We obviously saw them involved in the, the Celebrity Challenge at the Grand Prix this year, and it certainly showed their intention to be involved, and, and they certainly recognise the importance of being involved in that sporting and performance side of the sport. So to be perfectly honest, I actually probably I wouldn't be surprised if we had an announcement from them. There's certainly been no real rumours in that area, but... If they uh, they came along and said, hey, we're joining the sport, I think that would be a great thing and it's only going to further strengthen. I think they're uh, still with their Mazda 3 out selling any other car on the market. So why not couple that with a, a bit of sporty performance as well? long time ago, Mazda had a series which was for the 323s, I think, and it was an all-women driver series too. So uh, they've not been scared to promote women in motorsport, which I know having another hat on, Samantha, you uh, are all for. <laughs> Absolutely, I might have to give them a call after we've finished this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the um, other interesting thing we've seen with new manufacturers, we've seen a lot of new parts on the car, and uh, the gearbox has come under a lot of fire, Tony. We've seen uh, a number of 
incidents where the gearbox has been called into question. In fact, we saw Shane Van Gisbergen having troubles, but it turned out whilst they replaced the gearbox just because that's normally what it is, they actually found out the splines had come unwelded on a uh, drive shaft, which, uh, of course, doesn't help the situation when immediately people see you changing a transaxle or a gearbox and diff. Uh, assembly and of course it just always focuses in on the parts that these cars might be still a bit too fragile when we've got the endurance races coming up uh, not too far away. Had a chat to Mark Winterbottom on the weekend uh, on SEN and he says he's extremely concerned about uh, the gearboxes especially he's had uh, a few problems himself in regards to gearbox failures and the like and if they don't get this problem fixed and if this new gearbox that they're bringing in and testing at the moment isn't the solution we could have a very, very interesting uh, endurance series, I would have thought, with, uh, you know, they might last Sandown, but will they last Bathurst? Probably not in their current state. So something needs to be done, it needs to be done urgently to make sure that we don't have cars in the garage for half an hour having gearboxes changed as part of pit stops at Bathurst. Samantha, what's your read on the situation? Yeah, look, I think, uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate the fact that we uh, we did give Albans, uh, a local manufacturer, the opportunity to to put their gearboxes in the V8 supercars. And I think there's no one out there questioning the fact that Albans isn't working very, very hard at the moment to actually come up with a solution. So, you know, is it coming fast enough? Uh, potentially not, but we have obviously seen GRM uh, out uh, at Winton in the last couple of days uh, testing that new gearbox, and so far, so good. So, you know, if this solution... Uh, proves that it's it's the fix, then, you know, I, I certainly congratulate Albans for making, you know, they've had a strong presence at all the rounds. Of the, they're there within minutes after any suggestion of a possible gearbox failure. I would absolutely hate to see it, it ruin uh, our endurance races. And, you know, if we don't come up with a solution, that's certainly a very big possibility. But at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of prepared to stay positive for the local, local brand and hope that this new gearbox is going to be the solution for mm. them. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out. Uh, certainly, there are so many new components on the car as we head towards Santa and Bathurst. Any one of them could become the uh, weakest link in the chain. So we'll just have to see how it all plays out at the moment. Everyone's talking gearboxes, but you never know. After Townsville, it could be something completely different. We need to take a break here on the Vat Insiders. Plenty more when we return. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the Van Insiders. Samantha Reed and Tony Shebecki join me, Craig Ravel. And guys, uh, as they are getting ready to go up to Townsville, the teams are still counting the cost and still working very hard on the cars, getting them ready after the carnage that was Darwin. And I think one of the uh, one of the questions is they want to go to every fortnight, but the cars just couldn't be ready four fortnightly races if we see the amount of carnage that we saw up in Darwin, Tony? No, you're exactly right, Craig. It probably means that if they wanted to go to fortnightly racing, that would have to be at least another year or two down the track until the until uh, 
manufacturers actually develop more chassis and the like, so it could be similar to what they use in NASCAR, where they've got you know, 10, 15, 20 cars in a garage, and they can grab a different car at any point in time. I don't know whether we're going to get down that, uh, that road, because obviously the car of the future just proving to be a little bit more costly than what they thought it may be initially, and hopefully as things go by, that cost starts to come down. But, uh, yeah, if, if they're going to get to that situation, you're right, they're going to need to have some spares around and they can just pull one out of a truck, fix that and work it and, you know, race the next one while that's happening. But uh, until that point in time, you're right, cars uh, being worked on feverishly at the moment to get them right for Tazzle. It's been a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a year, hasn't it? Uh, it seems to me that some of it, we haven't had too many minor incidents. Anything we've had has been uh, pretty spectacular. Mm. And, of course, Sam, when there has been what appears to be a minor incident, when the boys get the car back into the shop, they're finding significant damage. Yeah, exactly, which is, uh, which is a shame for everyone because uh, as we're trying to keep these costs down, we keep saying the last thing we need is for cars to be... Uh, having more money spent on them due to repairs. Mm. And, and absolutely, you know, our, the mechanics, uh, mechanics and the engineers in the teams had, had a massive off-season in, in the build of these cars. So, you know, coming into the season, it's the mechanics' worst nightmares to see the cars coming in with that sort of damage because it's, you know, it's more sleepless nights and long days. Uh, these guys are pushing to get a day off between rounds as it is. So when the cars come in with significant damage, not only is it costly, but it is wearing out the crews and... Uh, certainly one of the aims of Car of the Future was obviously increase safety, reduce costs and, and hopefully make the cars actually faster to repair. And, you know, I'm not sure that they've necessarily been able to achieve that goal of being easier and faster to repair, perhaps sort of 10%. And a lot of that's probably come down to each of the individual teams and, and the different joining methods and things that they have actually put uh, within their vehicles. So to say overall that the cars are either easier or more difficult to repair than they were before... At, at this stage, I think perhaps we've seen a very minor improvement, but at, at this point in the season, they've still got a long way to go. And, and as Tony says, maybe in the future we're going to see teams with multiple multiple chassis that they can sort of do a changeover uh, and potentially even a changeover of crew. But, but that is a, a, another whole step up in terms of the cost department, so it's a good couple of years off. Mm. And, and, of course, that was the whole idea of Car of the Future, is that you would have shells potentially rolling chassis all available to you to try and offset the idea that we want to go racing every two weeks and condense the season down. Interestingly, we've seen Nissan Motorsport, James Moffat's car. It came back last Thursday from Darwin, or it got back to the workshop last Thursday. Tuesday, it was off the jig and they worked all weekend. Um, David Wall's car was in a very similar scenario up there at Norbury where the Brad Jones racing team had uh, a, a similar experience. But for Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, I guess they were sort of preparing for the worst because I know that they uh, went straight to Queensland and they went over to um, they went over to southeast Queensland and are working out of Paul Morris's workshops and uh, probably a good thing that they made that plan because the Nissan jig is what they used for uh, Scott Pye's repairs and this time round, Sam, there was James Moffat's car on it. Yeah, yeah, that's I suppose one of the downsides. We did see earlier in the year uh, the teams all working together and we saw Nissan Motorsport help uh, the Dumbrells uh, prepare that car for Scott but I suppose it's the, the worst scenario and it's not particularly common that we do see multiple cars sort of needing to be put back on the jig but I suppose you know, team cars come first, so I'm sure Nissan Motorsport would have done everything they could to, 
to offer a service to Dumbrells. But again, you know, we're seeing them work out of the Morris workshop and again showing some support for, for the other teams, which I think is one of the strengths of V8 Supercars still to this day. You know, it's competitive, but at the same time, they're all working together and they all understand the time constraints and the pressures on each of the teams. And, you know, I'm sure we'll see all of those cars back on the grid. A lot of dollars, a lot of unnecessary do dollars caused by what was a pretty spectacular incident up there but let's hope it's the only one for a while and they settle back down again and you know there's always a couple of them in the season so let's just hope we've got them over and done with mm. and of course Roland Tony he was quite adamant that he wanted the first car of the future car rolled off the jig uh, and set some pretty tough deadlines for his guys which they managed to achieve um but the good thing is they worked very hard to get these cars ready. But with Craig and Jamie, they're not tearing them up. So in some respects, they're having a, a slightly easier run of it now. Yeah, with all respect to Roland, though, uh, he's probably got a few more blokes on the floor than some of the teams have, and they're probably able to achieve those goals a lot easier. Uh, it's going to be a nightmare. It really is. And as we start to get into the Enduros and the like, and we do start to get into that, you know, two, three weekly racing towards the end of the season, any uh, any major damages are just going to be an absolute uh, bugger, I would have thought, for teams. Yeah, I know that uh, speaking to some of the engineers, they're just going, thank goodness the Abu Dhabi trips off because a week after the Gold Coast... Uh, they were they were adamant that if we saw a Gold Coast like uh, we've seen before, there would be cars left in Australia because well, there's just no way they could get them on the plane. National drivers to uh, to cause any of those problems, so it might have been okay. Oh, gee, that's harsh. I don't think the international drivers are always <laughs> at fault there. Samantha, do you think uh, Australian drivers can do just as much damage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We did a pretty good job on the weekend. We may have only done it once, not uh, one after another, but uh, absolutely, you know. Street circuit and internationals was always a challenge, but I certainly don't think we can put them 100% to blame. Mm. All right. Talking about cost-cutting, Phillip Island's now going to be three days, Sam. I can understand Phillip Island is one of the great tracks in Australia, and why wouldn't you want to have uh, more time on the track? But it's just interesting. That was seen as one of the events that could be cut back. Yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is interesting. This one sort of stumps me. The, the crowds at Phillip Island have been up, down and all over the place, more or less down in the last few years. And for such a sensational track, the, the timing of the events played into it. You know, we, didn't, we haven't seen a lot of spectators uh, out there. As a driver, it's one of the best places you want to be at. You could stay there for weeks on end and enjoy every single lap around the place. So the longer the, the event, the better. But, you know, I suppose there's a lot of commercial realities to these events now. And uh, I think that the, the way I see Phillip Island is it's a great opportunity for families to sort of take, take a weekend down there and explore, obviously, the, the racetrack, but everything else the island has to offer as well. So, you know, I'd like to see it stay uh, on the calendar, but... It, you know, solidify a little bit. I think they certainly needed to try something different down there to, to make a bigger and better event of it. So we'll see how it goes this year. Mm, Tony? I, I think they're trying to build this into a bigger event than what it, and, and back to what it really deserves, this Phillip Island event, for the reason being is that it could be the grand finale in 2014 uh, with, the, with the opportunity, it looks like, of Sydney possibly not being there and that uh, contract not being renewed and uh, things not happening the way they would like in regards to the government spend is every opportunity that Phillip Island could become the grand finale, as it was a few years ago too. We I remember about four or five years ago, wasn't it, Craig? We saw two fantastic grand finals there. Yep. In the, in the l summer or the late spring period, so well out of football, 
the place was buzzing, and I'm sure, Samantha, you were down there for those. We had a lot of holiday makers wanting to make a week of it down at the island or, or part of a bigger holiday, and that's, what, uh, that, that's when Phillip Island was really rocking. And, of course, when you have a championship going down to the wire like they did on both those occasions, and, of course, Craig Lowndes chasing for the championship, that's always going to help attendance as well. You can never guarantee that, but certainly summery-type weather down there at the island is a... Uh, is a boost to having it mid-season or even whilst they were trying to get the 500 running there and trying to do that in the middle of football season. You, you, like the boy with the barrow, you've got a loaded one and you're pushing it uphill. Mm-hmm. Build it and they will come, Craig. Well, we'll see. We'll see indeed. Guys, another, another thing that's happening, we're looking at it in depth in the white flag lap, but uh, this wet tyres in practice... Is it good for the sport? Obviously, Fitzy's selling a few more tyres, so he's happy about that. But, Sam, if I was to say to you, you're going to go out and do your first practice session and you might even do the start of qualifying with wet tyres on, are you going to look at me funny? <laughs> yeah, this one, this, this doesn't make me very happy. <laughs> the, uh, I, I think this is a good example that, you know, we've got a bit of a problem in terms of how tyres are regulated within the sport. Uh, you know, what do you learn off going out on in a car and wet tyres? You know, that you really can't take anything out of it on a, on a dry circuit, and it's it's basically a time waster to make sure that they meet the requirements of V8 supercars. The cars are on the circuit, but you know, the drivers aren't learning anything, the engineers aren't learning anything, and the spectators certainly aren't taking anything away from it. Sure, it probably means that some of our uh, practice sessions are shaken up a bit. We see some of the the names we don't expect. Uh, way up there on the top and and showing some potential speed but really it's almost making a joke of the practice day uh, in my opinion because really at the end of it there's not a lot that can be taken from it and you sort of say well why bother even looking at the results for practice let's go straight to qualifying when people start to take it seriously so look I think it's something that needs addressing I know more tyres you know greater allocations for the teams in terms of you know a greater allocation of the uh, soft and hard compound does uh, increase the cost but is this really saving costs when the teams are just purchasing wet tyres to basically go out and destroy just so that they're not wasting their other tyre allocation that they've got for the races on on meaningless practice. I think it's it's something that needs to be addressed. It's gone on for too long and it's at a, a stage where I don't know about the others, but I'm certainly sick of seeing it. And, you know, there's nothing worse than a, for a driver and getting out on a circuit and not really being able to feel the car at all. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Tony. What's your thoughts? Uh, can you do me a favour, please, Craig? Can you just cut that minute and a half of what Sam said, <laughs> put it through a simp- synthesizer, deepen the voice, and take that as my thoughts? I couldn't have said it any better. You covered that absolutely perfectly, Sam. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, that's uh, our focus of the white flag lap, which is up next. But, Samantha Reid, great to have you back on the show. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Craig, and great to join us, Tony. Tony Shebecki, SEN's On The Grid, each and every Sunday morning right around Australia on sen.com.au. Good on you, Craig. Thank you for that. And believe me, Samantha, the pleasure's been all mine. <laughs> the White Flag laughs up next here on the V8 Insiders. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we look at what appears to be a crazy situation where drivers are going out on wet tyres for practice and even for the first part of qualifying. Craig Lowndes gave us his thoughts. Uh, well, I suppose the first thing, yeah, it is crazy. Um, you know, we'd all like to be on a, on a, on a slick tyre. Um, you know, they, 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 I believe they're doing it because of uh, costs, but we're burning up a set of wets doing it. So, you know, we might be saving costs on slicks, but we're, we're burning up wet. So I don't think the cost factor's there. I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, maybe they just need to, to review the whole situation. I'm sure, no doubt, that uh, more teams would get better quality qualify- or practice in qualifying, um, you know, if you had another set of tyres, for sure. Jonathan Webb is a team owner and driver has to look at it from both sides. <laughs> it's pretty frustrating, to be honest. Um, you know, I think potentially the same problem is going to happen in Townsville. We spent a lot of money to come to these events and, and as I say, to, wob- to wobble around on, on tyres and, and waste. You know, and what is relatively a day of testing is uh, is disappointing. But you know, they're trying to trying to save money, and that's all good. But just not sure whether they quite uh, put their finger on the right bits to uh, to hit just yet. Jason Bright has some ideas on how you could fix the problem immediately. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's just one of those crazy things, the way it's sort of evolved and, and you know, you, you have to sort of go out in, in qualifying and get some temperature in the brakes. Um, you know, I think we were one of the first teams to do it, um, believe it or not, even though Brad's very tight, you know, we, <laughs> we talked him into running a set of wets just to get some temperature in the brakes so that you're not sort of wasting that first lap. And on a track like this where it's so important to not waste that first lap, you know, you just have to do it. Um, yeah, should there be a rule written that we can use a set of practice tyres, you know, to, to go out and qualifying with? Yeah, of course it should. You know, I, I was all for the rule we had a few years ago um, where we were allowed to bring practice tyres and use them in, in the races even. You know, it, it's, it seems a bit crazy, but, you know, there's reasons why we don't do that. But should we be allowed to warm up on a used set of tyres? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, and then, you know, that time doesn't count. You know, if you've got your green light on, it doesn't count or something. I don't know. There's a way. There's got to be a way around it. it feels a bit silly being out there on wet. It's not good for the fans. You know, we'll, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure after this weekend, it's sort of proved its point. Brad Jones explains why, from a board perspective, it's not good to have the old tyre rules where you could have separate tyres out there for practice. Uh, I don't really think it is to tell you the truth, and I'm usually the first one to be critical of that stuff. But you know, we've you, we've put one used wet set of wets on the car for the year, and then we go out and warm the thing up on it. Um, we don't want to go out on green qualifying tyres to do that you know I don't really think it's a good idea to, to allow practice tyres in a qualifying because then people turn up with with green qualifying tyres and uh, practice tyres and not run them on the Friday so it probably seems crazy I certainly think when we go to a place like Austin we need at least one more set of hards because everyone was saving them up for the race so no one run on them so I think the rules probably need a bit of rejigging but I don't, you know, these aren't really wets, they're... They're not anymore. <laughs> no, they're not anymore, but the wets we have are so hard. I mean, a normal wet, if you ran it the way we ran them, they'd fly apart. So it's, it's, it probably seems a bit silly, but at the end of the day, it's sort of serving a purpose, and 
And other than making the rules really messy, I'm not sure what a, what a better option is. Would you believe your driver, one of your drivers, had an idea, which sounded logical to me, allow the practice sets back again like they did last year, but if you go out on a non-mark set for the race, you put the green light on and no times count. Yeah, maybe um, that's probably not a bad idea. Probably not a bad idea. It certainly would be better than run around on wets. Something like that I would support, but to just allow practice tyres in, as I said, yeah. teams will save them up, they'll turn up with greens, they'll use them as their first qualifying set. So yeah. maybe when you've got a practice tyre on, you have to have your green light on and you, your times don't count. Probably not a bad idea. Interestingly, Gary Rogers doesn't think the idea is so crazy. Well, they're no more expensive than the other tyres. But wouldn't it be more... If they're no more expensive, wouldn't it be better to use another set of tyres? I don't think it matters. It's just perhaps less time to find out more about your car and spend less money by doing it this way. How is it less money, though, if you burn off a set of tyres? Oh, well, you're going to burn off a set of drives anyway. And, and you'll probably experiment more with a whole lot of suspension setup that isn't going to come into play anyway. So why spend that money? But isn't it spent already? Yes, but you've spent it whether they're wets or whether they're dries. But the ability to um, spend more money on other parts of your car, some things you'll learn by using another set of dry tyres is probably the worst. Or, or sorry, the end result of using another set of dry tyres. Tony Dalberto shared his thoughts. Well, you just, uh, because of the rules, you're just forced into it. So, um... You know, we're so limited on tyres, especially when we come to a track like Darwin where the um, tire, their track is so hard on the tyre. Um, you're forced into, I suppose, not putting kilometres on, on an each set of tyres. So you got to try and get your brake temps up, get your eye in on something. So we used a set of wet tyres, and it doesn't make any sense because you're chewing through a set of wets every race meeting because uh, obviously you never use them in the, in the wet. And, uh, you know, we're saving money on dry tyres, but then we're chewing through wets. And, yeah, to be honest, it looks silly. looks silly for the category. You know, you've got some guys out there doing full practice sessions on wets. I don't know what they're getting out of it, but, um, you know, just because they don't want to wreck their good tyres. Dick Johnson gave us more insight into what he thinks should happen. Well, you burn a set of wet tyres, you might as well burn a set of bloody slick tyres. So why we don't end up with two sets of new six to go uh, and practice and stuff prior to qualifying it's got me buggered because driving around on old tyres uh, you, you don't get a feel for the car you can't set the car up because it's completely useless you know so until such times you get decent tyres on it uh, you're wasting your time. Alex Premer, who's got plenty of international experience says that he doesn't have a problem with going out with wets on the car. I mean about practice one or practice two I mean it's to get the tires on the on the car for the first lap or the first two laps, I would say yes. I mean, it doesn't matter because it's just to get warm the cars, to get warm the brakes, all the system, just to feel if everything is fine. It's more like a rollout. Mm-hmm. In DTM, we were doing a rollout before every race is. Yeah. So we were going in the race truck or airport and we were doing like just driving on the track, just roll out with the weight or with the stick, but just to feel if the car was all right. So, I mean, I would say, like, um, we are finished, finishing this weekend. We are going to Townsville next next time. And, uh, okay, we will have a test in Winton. We're lucky for this time. But if we don't if we do not do a test between races, I, I mean, it's nice just start straight away with the wet tires, just to feel if the, everything is all right with the car, uh, if the power is all right, if the steering is straight, everything is all right. And, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's... 
we are doing you know what why we are doing that as well because we don't have any tire left so that's why that we are doing that so I mean yeah I don't care if all drivers do that yeah yeah but it does sound crazy oh yeah it's not crazy to you oh sounds not crazy if if yeah would sound crazy if someone qualified with wet tires yeah <laughs> Dunlop's Kevin Fitzsimmons is at least selling some extra tires following V8 supercars cutting the numbers allocated which has reduced his income from the teams. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Um, we culled um, a lot of tyres out, you know, 40 odd tyres per car. So I mean, I guess if they, if they do do that, but at the moment, because they're getting, they'll get two, three, four race meetings out. If they're only putting one for a couple of laps, it won't hurt them. They use them as a travel tyres for pushing the cars around the, the workshop and in and out of the trailers here and, and stuff like that and everything. So at the moment, it hasn't really. Uh, hurt the teens, but now we've got the situation where the tyres are worn out, so they are having to replace them. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next couple of, uh, of events and uh, see which path they go down. If they don't can it, potentially we're going to go south to Winton in middle of winter, and you could be short. Oh no, we've got we've got plenty of stock. We've got um, 1,600 tyres in stock, so that's not an issue. And um, you know, so I've got I've got lots and lots of tyres here. I don't have to worry too much about that. Um, but it's just a matter of if the team expect us to have massive amounts there. You know, so um, the tech people are going to remind uh, the teams uh, after this event that hey, if you want to order tyres for practice, absolutely no problem. But when you get them there, you own them. Uh, so we're not transporting hundreds of tyres around for no reason. Uh, so yeah, it's just a matter of uh, just reminding them a few of of how the system works. You know. But perhaps James Courtney summed it up the best. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, crazy, really. With the you think the teams are spending a couple hundred thousand dollars to come here for a race weekend, and you know it's a thousand dollar set of tyres. Where it's you know for me, it's I think it's pretty stupid. Um, it makes practice on Friday a waste of time for uh, you know the punters that are coming to try and watch the event because some guys have got fresh tyres, other guys have got tyres that are horrendous. Some guys are running used softs, some guys have got green softs. So there's no real strategy. Um, and then everyone walks away from Friday not really having a good understanding of what's going on. So I think for the show, I think it'd be much better if we, you know, what's another couple of thousand dollars when you're spending that much? I'm sure all the teams would much rather, you know, have a, a good consistent tyre bank than then you can develop the car from. So uh, that is affecting us as well with the way that we're trying to develop the car because you, you're trying to save tyres as well as develop the car. So you're testing things on old tyres and then the tyre batches change so much. So it's, uh, depending what track you've used the tyres at previously... You know, that sometimes that set has a bit of push in it, and then other times you've got you know, four front tyres from different other sets. So it's, um, it's just a nightmare. So it's something that I think we really need to have a look at for next year, and, and um, it would make the show a lot better. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders as the chequered flag waves over this edition. My thanks to Tony Shebecki and, of course, Sam Reed. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.